Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening, where we continue our reflections into... Uh, church history and to the great Christian thinkers. Now, this evening's figure is a little unique because we don't necessarily regard him as a great thinker. Uh, And the rich irony is we do regard him, at least many do, as the most popular saint to ever live, and that is one St. Francis of Assisi. And uh, I will be discussing St. Francis of Assisi with John O'Hare this evening. John, great to have you with me this evening. Good to be back again, Joe. So, St. Francis of Assisi, as I just noted, uh, John, there's something very unique about this man because as we have been all about the great thinkers, and certainly there are many great saints with those great Christian thinkers, those great doctors of the Church, here we have a man that belongs to his own category. You know, Dante once said, when St. Francis of Assisi was born— a son was born into the world. (laughs) And that's not son, S-O-N, that's son, S-U-N. And certainly this is part of why he captures our imagination, because we see these pictures of him uh, playing with the birds out in in these open meadows, and underneath that, the picture will say, you know, brother, son, sister, moon. Certainly he had this great affection for creation. But what lies at the heart of this man, John, is that his affection for creation wasn't loving the environment for the sake of loving the environment. No, it was understanding that all of creation comes from the Creator who is also Father. And it was always out from that Father-Son, SO1 relationship that he had this deep understanding of what creation was all about. So Francis reminds us that the wisdom and benevolence of the Creator is expressed through creation. He understood nature as a language in which God speaks to us, in which reality becomes clear, John, and and we can speak of God and with God, but it was always in light of God as Creator, yes, but first and foremost as Father. This is the great insight that He hands on to us, that we are never to see creation as autonomous from Creator, but in light of its Creator, who is Father. Ultimately, John, this is what allows him to enter into a deeper affection with creation, and knowingly or unknowingly, why so many people are drawn to him. And all of this, John, uh, I think is better understood once you come to better understand the man for who he is. Well, a a few facts about this fascinating man's life. Uh, He was born in either 1181 or 1182, we're not sure which, but we do know that he died on Saturday evening, October the 3rd, 1226, at the age of 44 or 45 years old. Mm -hmm. I would say that he preached by example. Mm -hmm. That was a deal. We don't have much in the way of his sermons, but his example was extraordinary. He was born to a well-to-do merchant, uh, Peter Bernadone was his father, and he uh, was a cloth wholesaler. He mm-hmm. traveled around. He was in France when uh, his son was born, and while well, he was baptized with the name of John, he always be, was called Frenchy or Francis. Mm-hmm. 
he uh, went to school and uh, was oh, did okay. He knew some Latin, and he was going to be uh, inherit his father's cloth merchant business, and he was going to take up chivalry as well. He also went to parties. I mean, we're not saying that he was a, a party hound, but he went to a <laughs> lot of parties and yep, enjoyed yep. the social life. Absolutely. And uh, he was go- he was one get into chivalry, and uh, a nearby town was Perjuia and Assisi, and they got into a war. And Francis went off to war, and uh, Perugia, uh, you can see these towns on a clear day across the plains from each other. Perugia won, and Francis was taken as a prisoner of war. Mm-hmm. And he was there for some time, maybe a year, and he probably became ill. And he recovered from this illness, and he came back with a different attitude towards chivalry, but not altogether. Mm-hmm. And here we have uh, a man named Thomas of Solano, who knew him and was a Franciscan, wrote a biography of him. But when I say wrote, it was a hagiography, mm-hmm. why this person is a saint and why we should live like him. And then later, a very well-educated St. Bonaventure, a Franciscan who was head of the order at the time, was asked to write an official biography around uh, 1260, which he did. Mm-hmm. And uh, he talked to Thomas of Solano. And so these are our sources of Francis's life, because mm-hmm. Francis left nothing that is really that, shall we say, autobiographical. So anyway, he comes back and um, he goes to Rome. Rome is not that far away from Assisi. Mm-hmm. He goes to Rome, and he's dressed in his father's finery. And there he sees a poor man. And he gives this man his finery, this great clothing. Now, remember, this is his father's clothing that he's mm-hmm. given to this man, so he's really not giving it away. And he takes the poor man's clothes, and he comes home. And then he begins to walk around Assisi at the hills, and he's not quite the same person he was before. There's a change mm-hmm. in him. He then gets into repairing churches, and he has some visions of uh, where he has feels that Christ is speaking to him. The most famous one is at the church of St. Damiano, when he feels that Christ says to him from the crucifix, Francis, go and repair my house, which you see is falling down. He begins to do this, and he, he looks a little odd. I mean, he still lives with his father, does some work, but the things are changing, mm-hmm. and uh, Mr. Bernadoni is concerned, shall we yes, say, and there yes. is, we assume, friction between father and son. And then he takes a cart, his father's cart, fills it with a bunch of uh, clothing materials with the horse, sells it, gets the money, goes and gives it to the priest at San Damiano. Says, here, here's for your church. And the priest says, oh, I I can't take this. This is your father's. Well, and he just puts it in a windowsill and Mm -hmm. walks away. Mm -hmm. Well, now we have father and son in a real uh, Mm to-do. And uh, to make a long story short, Father has a public situation in the plaza with the bishop, Bishop uh, Guido of uh, Assisi. And at this point, he is told to give the clothing back to the father. And so he takes off his own clothes, and he's just naked Mm -hmm. in the plaza. And, okay, here you are, Dad. Now, at this point, we don't have Mr. Bernadoni's story on this, because I'm sure he has something to say. But anyway, here's his son, (laughs) butt naked in the square, and... Uh, then the bishop asks a servant to give him a cloak, so he, at least he's wearing something, yeah, yeah. and off he goes to lead. Now, remember, he's cut off from his father. Mm-hmm. There's no food, no no place to lead. He's homeless. He's a homeless guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
now then he goes off and he begins to beg, eat what he can get, uh, tries to continue to repair churches, mm-hmm. and he walks around setting an example. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, he is such a radical guy and such an odd person, this, of course, attracts followers <laughs> yeah. pretty soon. Yeah. He has a following. Mm-hmm. And he's giving an excellent example of how do you really lead the Christian life? Because as with now, a lot of people were Catholics, nominally or a little bit more than nominally, mm-hmm. but really living what Christ wanted you to do was not the majority way of life. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. anyway, here is a, an example of it. And the bishop says you probably need to, what you should do is go to Rome and, and see the Pope. Mm-hmm. So the bishop knows a cardinal and he goes to Rome. Now, seeing the Pope in Rome, which was Innocent III, one of the great popes at that time, was about as easy as seeing uh, President Obama today. I mean, you just don't walk in Mm -hmm. for an appointment. Mm -hmm. But anyway, the cardinal was instrumental, and anyway, they meet. And they uh, met around uh, 1209. We don't have a written record of it, but he gets permission from Innocent III, one of the great, probably the greatest of the medieval popes, to yeah. go and preach penance. Mm-hmm. And off he and his followers go. They, they said there may have been 12. I don't know if we, we know for sure. But off they go to do that. Yeah, John, just going back to uh, those words that came to Francis from Christ on the cross, go, Francis, and rebuild my church in ruins. You know, and, and so he does. <laughs> he repairs the small church of San Damiano, but this would only be symbolic of the much deeper calling to repair the universal church. And I really want to highlight this here, John, because at that time the church had a superficial faith, which did not shape or or transform life. You know, zealous clergy had become more scarce, and uh, there was uh, a cooling of charity, if you will. And ultimately, as Benedict XVI talked about it, there was this interior destruction of the church, which led to this decomposition of unity with the birth of a number of heretical movements. So, yet, at the center of the church in ruins was the crucified Lord, and he spoke. He called for renewal. He called Francis to renew the church with a radicality of faith. And again, remember that word radical literally means root, Return the church to its roots. This loving enthusiasm for Christ, which up to that point was so rarely seen. And now, uh, within this narrative, we have an important dream that one Pope Innocent III had, where he saw the Basilica of just not any church, John, but St. John Lateran Church, the mother of all churches, collapsing. And the dream had one small and insignificant religious brother supporting the church on his shoulders to prevent it from falling. Now, it's interesting to note that it is not the Pope, per se, who is helping to prevent the church from collapsing, but rather a small and insignificant brother whom the Pope recognized, (laughs) John, in Francis when he later came to visit. So here you have Innocent III, a powerful Pope who had a great theological formation and great political influence, turning to this insignificant religious brother to renew the church, huh? And this is what he does. It's also important to highlight, John, that St. Francis does not renew the church without or in opposition to the Pope, but only in communion with him, because the two realities go together. 
St. Francis's very existence was at the service of the church. There are some historians who have wanted to create a historical Francis minus God. That's kind of what I was alluding to in opening. You know, this historical Francis who loved creation minus the Father. Those same historians have wished to create a historical Jesus minus his faith. But what we have to come to understand is Francis was always at the service of building up the church, the kingdom of God. That being said, John, I also wanted to touch upon another aspect of his life, and that was this encounter he had with a leper. It's often talked about how he saw this leper, and he hugged this leper, he kissed this leper, but in fact, that's actually not what happened. He encountered a leper, and he was turned off by him, and God so convicted him to be at the service of him that he went back to that leper, um, and by the grace of God, embraced that leper, kissed the leper, and as the story is told, even kissed the wounds of the leper. So his encounter with the leper was very important to him because it showed him that he needed to love God more. The leprosarium was a place he never went to, but he went to afterwards yes. and really took them, uh, you know, that he was a doctor, mm-hmm. but he went there and loved them mm-hmm. and cared mm-hmm. and, and did his best to care for them, yes. Yeah, and there is where, for St. Francis, at least his encounters with the lepers, that he really did discover uh, what poverty was all about. What was radical poverty to mm-hmm. him? Mm-hmm. And it he never really defined it, and the best he could do was to live by his example. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, he just attracted thousands of people. I mean, there he had a lot of followers mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and a very loose rule. Remember, he did not become a Benedictine. He, you know, he, he, he did what he did. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can call him one of the first mendicants, so these are orders who live in poverty but travel around. Mm-hmm. Um, another situation he had, I don't want to get off on this too much, but he did not want his friars having anything to do with money. Mm-hmm. You could accept uh, a gift for a service, for example, food. If you worked for somebody and they gave you a meal, fine. Uh, but uh, he, he didn't want them having anything to do with money. Now, money was had always been around, but it was kind of new and it was becoming quite important. And also, interest rates for lending money. I mean, if you lend money, you may not get it back. The economy was changing and you had three actual sets. You had the mercantile class, the feudal class, and then the uh, cl- cl- and the clergy. And uh, times were changing, as they mm-hmm. always are. But his example was such that he just inspired people. Like, that's the popularity. Yeah. That, and I think one of the reasons, this is my own opinion, though, when he went to see Pope Innocent III, what was the Pope looking at? He said to himself, this guy's the real thing. Yeah. You know, uh, that must have been it. Well, you know, so he met with Innocent III and the Cardinals. He left... And as the story was told by Bonaventure, (laughs) before I go on here, John, remember who we have already talked about. St. Anthony of Egypt, St. Basil the Great, St. Benedict. Remember the great (laughs) saints we have talked about as it relates to those aspiring to radical poverty. Innocent III says to his cardinals when they're talking about this, we've never seen this before. He just brings to them the gospel message. You know, take nothing for your journey. Well, literally, we've never seen this before. And don't get me wrong, St. Benedict and and St. Anthony of Egypt and St. Basil, these these great men, literally speaking, that we've talked about, took very little for their journey. Francis, 
He took nothing for the journey. That's what made him so unique, so different. And so this is what Francis was about, and, and Pope Innocent III gives him his blessing. Not only did he attract a lot of followers, but let's not just forget his across-the-street neighbor, uh, Claire. She, mm. she came from an even wealthier family than he did. Yes. And I, I think around 1212, she came in. And she founded a uh, an order of nuns. The poor Claire's are still around, and they're quite well organized. And she was very good. And now she could not go around and preach the gospel. Women could not in those days. Uh, when I was in San Damiano, with a church just next to it, where she apparently lived, yeah. it was like one big room, and you kind of slept on the on the dirt floor mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. in your mat. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and uh, that was you know your bedroom. <laughs> mm-hmm. And wow. You know, there's something else that comes up here, John, and that's the importance of uh, friendships. Here you have this wonderful uh, Christian-Catholic friendship between uh, Francis and Claire, and one that inspired one another. Certainly, uh, St. Francis of Assisi inspired something within Claire of Assisi to start this religious order. But uh, be rest assured, Claire of Assisi also inspired him. So they had this deep mutual bond that ultimately would serve one another. This is what Christian friendships are all about, that they inspire one another. And to read the life of St. Francis of Assisi, as well as St. Claire of Assisi, is to see how one inspired the other. Certainly, she was initially drawn to him, as you already noted, drawn to his radical poverty, because that's what radical poverty does. It draws you in. Uh, And certainly, Claire took this up. So the way in which they inspired one another, they served each other. And I think that's a an important and beautiful point to draw out in this great relationship, and ultimately within the larger narrative of St. Francis of Assisi. Claire is very important. Now, another thing that we Francis did was he went on the Fifth Crusade. He did go to Egypt. Mm-hmm. He went and wanted to see the Sultan, actually did see the Sultan, he was going to convert him. He did not. The Sultan, uh, he... Francis had a lot better luck than some people are having today yeah. in that country, <laughs> but and, and he was given mm-hmm. gifts by the sultan, and he went home. Yeah, it was in 1219, John, actually, that he obtained permission to visit and speak to the Muslim sultan to preach the good news. He, and he just didn't preach it by, by deed, per se. He also preached it by word. That was also very important to uh, St. Francis and his life. Now, jumping forward here, John, in 1224... At the Hermitage in Laverna, Francis had a vision of the crucified Lord in the form of a seraph, and from that encounter, as the story goes, he received the stigmata from the seraph crucifix, thus becoming one with the crucified Lord. It was a gift, a gift that expressed his intimate identification with the Lord. Uh, Now, as it relates to uh, his death, he died on October 3rd, uh, 1226, in the Porta di which in Italian just simply means little chapel. And after blessing his spiritual children, he died laying on the bare earthen floor. It has been said, you know, Francis represents an altar Christus. He was another Christ in a way that uh, maybe we've never seen, truly a living icon of Christ. He has also been called the brother of Jesus. Indeed, this was his ideal. We can never overstate this enough, you know, to be like Jesus, to contemplate Christ in the gospel, to love him intensely and to imitate his virtues. This is what St. Francis of Assisi was about. Um, You know, that first beatitude, 
John, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This beatitude finds a luminous fulfillment in the life and words of St. Francis once again, like history has not seen. You know, Benedict XVI once said that the saints are the best interpreters of the Bible <laughs> because they bring the words to life. St. Francis of Assisi was the incarnation of the Word of God in so many different ways because of the way in which he loved Christ in deed and in word with every single breath. And this great truth can never be taken away from him. This great truth needs to always be before us. The witness of Francis, who loved poverty as a means to follow Christ with dedication and total freedom, should continue to be before us. We are not to live, John, with just a pinch of poverty in our everyday life. We need to integrate this in our everyday life. Uh, this is what Pope Francis is all about. He wants us to integrate poverty, that we might come to know it intimately, as his namesake did, St. Francis of Assisi. I just want to mention the word compassion. Remember, that means with suffering. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to suffer with lepers, whatever. Mm -hmm. I mean, and he really mm -hmm. wanted to do it. And here he was suffering with Christ. And this was something that was just fine with him. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and as it relates to the stigmata, maybe some of our listeners are not familiar with the stigmata. These are the wounds of Christ, and uh, Francis was the first to bear these wounds, uh, the wounds in the hands and, and the feet, and also the agony and the pain that, that would accompany those wounds. Um, yeah. Certainly this is a, a supernatural phenomenon, but uh, it was well known that he did receive the stigmata, and certainly that would have been in many ways, this might sound odd to some of our listeners, John, but a gift from Christ. I noted it earlier, but I mean, let's consider this. The wounds of Christ ultimately become a gift, if not the gift, from Christ. Because if the cross and the crucifix itself is a gift to the world, then uh, what greater gift can Christ give to us than his very wounds and a sharing in those wounds? This is not so abstract to the gospel. In fact, it lies at the heart of the gospel. What does Paul say time and time again? But we are called to share in the sufferings of Christ. 1 Peter 4.13, share in the sufferings of Christ. This is very important, and we do so just not figuratively, but literally conforming everything that we do to uh, the crucified Lord. And certainly this was, would have been very important to not only St. Francis of Assisi, but also to the people around him. You know, at this point, at the end of his days, he was a bit of a rock star. Um, not that For you would sure, put yes. those words to Francis, but uh, wherever he went, people would want to follow, um, even if he was kicked out of his own order, by the way. <laughs> his order, it's to remember, John, it got to be so big, as much as he tried to contain it, he couldn't. And he was actually kicked out of his own community because they saw him living poverty as just, it was just too radical for them. Fascinating thing to, to think about that, but that's what happens. And in fact, Francis says, perfect joy is being kicked out of your own order because that's where you experience the true poverty of Christ. Very interesting, yes. Yeah. The order could have been a little bit better organized. I might say Claire did a little better job of organizing hers. Yes. I mean, organization was not his 
real gift. I think what his gift was was his example, his authentic example. That's what attracted people. It wasn't his constitution that he wrote. It was the example. One of my favorite little anecdotes is he and a friar said, let's go out and preach today. And they mm -hmm. went to the town and walked around the uh, plaza mm -hmm. and came home and said, I thought we were going to preach this. We just did. Mm -hmm. You do it with your example. And indeed, that is the best preaching you can do is the quality and holiness of your life. Yeah, I believe it was Brother Juniper who joined him uh, in going to the town. And on the other side, as you noted, he asked the question, Francis, I, I thought we were going to preach the good news. And his response was, well, uh, preach, and if necessary, use words. It's interesting, John, when I was in Assisi and I was going through uh, the town uh, for the days that I was there, I was often thinking about that story, kind of putting myself in the shoes of one brother Juniper and, and Francis of Assisi and uh, just kind of taken by the reality of, of that story. Because in the end, uh, this is the embodiment of what St. Francis of Assisi was all about. And this is why he was so popular. Everyone knew him. You know, it has been said that you know the measure of, of a man by those who show up for their funeral. Well, when it comes to St. Francis of Assisi, there were many, many uh, who showed up for his funeral. His popular was uh, far spread. He was made a saint pretty quick, actually. He was canonized uh, two years after his death, and in those days the Pope could canonize you when he wanted to, yeah, and he did. Yeah. yeah, I believe he was one of the quickest to be canonized. In fact, it was uh, another Franciscan who we talked about a couple of months ago, St. Anthony of Padua, who um, was the quickest to be canonized. And, you know, what is it? Well, you just recognize, John, greatness before you. You know, we have in our own contemporary age uh, many great men and women who, when they die, what do we say? Well, they're going to be a saint. Why waste time, right? You know, John Paul II, uh, certainly Mother Teresa, and here she is yet to be canonized. And all of this is in God's infinite mystery and according to his time for his reasons. But certainly when you think about uh, the likes of a St. Francis of Assisi, you might think of a, a Mother Teresa, and you just kind of say, yeah, this person's going to be canonized. I mean, you think about uh, the procession that St. Francis of Assisi had. Well, uh, Mother Teresa had a similar procession, and it once again just speaks to the greatness uh, that is before you. So as I'm looking up at the clock, John, we are out of time. I don't know if you have any closing thoughts. Well, he was a, a colorful saint. I have a few issues with Dad, but he was, you know, he did what he did, and it, it, it hurt him. I don't know what his thoughts were later in life, but he was colorful, and he was authentic, and he mm -hmm. was the real thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, like you said, the, the most popular saint in, in the Catholic world. Amen, John. I just want to close with some words from Benedict XVI. Um, in his reflection of St. Francis of Assisi, he says, Dear friends, Francis was a great saint and a joyful man. His simplicity, his humility, his faith, his love for Christ, his goodness towards every man and every woman brought him gladness in every circumstance. Indeed, there subsists an intimate and indissoluble relationship between holiness and joy. A French writer once wrote that there was only one sorrow in the world, not to be a saint. That is, not to be near to God. Looking at the testimony of St. Francis, we understand that this is the secret of true happiness, to become saints close to God. Amen. Well, with that, John, let us close with a word of prayer in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, 
now and at the hour of our death. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.